Okay, guys, we're in lesson seven, so I hope everybody's got a um, has got a study sheet, and there's a nice little map on your study sheet. Uh, we're going to take a look at that here in a second. So basically, the next two weeks, we're going to do the judgment of the nations. Okay, so uh, Isaiah 13 through 23 lists the reactions of the various nations to the Assyrian threat as well as their judgments. Okay, so we already know that Isaiah has basically shared that the Lord is going to send Assyria to punish the northern kingdom, the ten tribes in the north. They're going to be carried away into exile. He's not totally happy with the Assyrians. They're just a tool in his hand. But this is an empire that's going to come but they're also going to be destroying all the other nations around them. What nations, George? Well, if you look at your, at your uh, diagram there you have in your notes, we're talking about Aram in the north, Damascus. Babylon is also included. Uh, Tyre, the king of Tyre. Philistia, Edom, Moab. The desert by the sea. Of course, we've got Egypt and Cush down here. Now, this red area that you see in your, is the outline of the Assyrian Empire, okay? This is what the Assyrian Empire captured, all right? So I just want you to recognize that. And we're going to look at today the judgment of the nations. Now, why is this significant? Well, most of the prophecy so far has been uh, basically about God's people, right? Have you, do you remember that so far from what we've talked about? That it's been mainly about God's people, their wickedness against the Lord and so forth. And so you would have the impression that God seems to only be judging them. Well, he's judging the other nations around them because they have been thorns in the side of Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. So God's not letting them off the hook. Some of these are ancient enemies of Israel. And so he's going to bring judgment against them as well. All right, so he's going to bring judgment against them. And so we're going to go through some of those nations today. Now, we're not going to read the passages because this is a lot of material, but we're just going to kind of survey our way through it. And again, if you have questions... Ask them, okay? Ask them. Now, it's interesting, the very first nation that he's going to pronounce judgment on really isn't a threat to Israel at this point in history. So we're talking about right now, this is sometime around 700 B.C., okay? So this is sometime around 700 B.C., this enemy we're going to look at first doesn't defeat Judah until 500 and some, or 600 and some, so like 150 years later, okay? So God's pronouncing a judgment here, and it's against who? Babylon. So he's already going to mention Babylon here, okay? So the first thing I want you to notice is this. Isaiah proclaims that this is an oracle or a burden that he saw concerning Babylon. So 
he's already going to talk about Babylon, all right? Now, this prophecy, this prophecy spoken was spoken before the fall of Babylon in 539 B.C. So this prophecy is spoken even before, and does anybody remember who took, who defeated the Babylonians? Which empire defeated the Babylonians? Yeah, the Medo-Persian Empire, okay? And that was in 539 B.C. Now, 70 years before that, they defeated who? Israel, Judah, and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. So Isaiah is giving a prophecy about something that's happening way ahead concerning a nation that's yet to defeat Judah, and he's going to talk about their destruction, okay? He's going to talk about their destruction. So this is an oracle that uh, is speaking to that. Now, so here's the coming judgment. When we look at chapter 13, verse 2 through 13, here's the coming judgment. The Lord summons his army to come and destroy the whole land. Okay? So he's going to come and destroy the whole land. Here's the other aspect. The day of God's judgment is coming and will cause the people to be in distress. So whatever it is, that day that's going to happen is going to cause the people to be in distress. The day of God's judgment will be terrible and affect the heavens, okay? Now, here's why he's doing it. Are you guys ready for this? The Lord will punish them for their arrogant attitude towards God. The Lord will punish them for their arrogant attitude towards God. Okay, let's stop for a moment. Wow. So here's God. He's going to unleash this massive judgment against them, and it's because of their arrogance towards him. Now, let's stop for a moment. I want you to, I want you to think for a moment. When we think about how often we portray God today, is that different than what we just were considering from this prophecy about who God is? Is it different? Is it really? Think about it. How, how does the world portray God? How do some Christian churches today portray God? God is what? Love, right? God wants to be your friend, right? Is that not true? Now, when you read these passages, he's going to unleash a terrible judgment that's going to bring the people into distress and it's because of what? Their arrogant attitude towards who? Him. Now, how does that stand with the common perception that we have today? Huh? It's the, it's the set. Okay, well, that's good, Gene, so we need to really examine ourselves is what you're getting at, yes, okay. But, okay, having said that, there's no different, but do we sometimes get in a place of complacency where we think, oh, it's just grace? 
just grace. God's not going to, God's not going to punish me, right? Now, having, let's, all right, let's stop for a moment. Let, let's qualify everything, because I don't want to go, I don't want to seem like, boy, you're really going to an extreme here, George. Okay, I want you to listen to me. When it comes to God's children, because we're going through gentle and lowly, right? We're doing that book. You guys have read that book. God is gentle and lowly towards his children. However, he expresses judgment towards those who don't know him. All right. Now, when it comes to you and I, he does discipline us. But does he change in his attitude of love towards us? No, not at all. But he disciplines us like a, like a father would discipline his children. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? If, if, you're, if your son took a baseball bat and smashed out your window in the house, are you just going to say, oh, that's okay? Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? You're not. You're going to be like, you need to pay for that. You know what I'm saying? And here's, I'm taking away your phone, and uh, don't you, you know, you're going to let him, you're going to discipline him, right? However, you still get discipline. Now, this is a little bit different. We're talking about unbelievers here. We're talking about Babylonians who don't worship the God of Israel, who worship their God, who are arrogant and prideful of their God over another God, and God is going to unleash on them distress, judgment. Now, Gene, you are right, because he does do the same thing with God's people by unleashing the Assyrians on them. Do you understand what I'm saying? To teach them a lesson because of their forsaking the Lord. I guess what I'm trying to get you to understand is, is sometimes, and maybe this is, how about if, I think this is a better way to say it. Sometimes we lose a fear of God in our minds. Would you agree with that? You know, sometimes we lose a fear of the Lord. And uh, with that, when you lose that fear, there's no restraint. So, okay, so in the home I grew up in, George Cannon Sr., okay, my dad, I'll be honest with you, I had a fear of my dad. Now, terror? No. I understood his authority, and I understood that if I crossed a line, there was consequences. You know, and mom, all mom had to say was, wait till your dad gets home. Excuse me, my mom's German. It would have an accent, okay? And, uh, you know, so wait till your dad gets home. And that would be enough to, you know, do you know what I'm saying? We don't have that anymore. And I think sometimes it's because of our concept of God. So when you read a passage like this, and a lot of people do, God just seems mean and cruel. But no, no, he's, he's disciplining. He's getting, getting the attention of nations, okay? Because of their arrogant attitude towards, towards the Lord. Now, let's go on here. The destruction will be so severe that men will be as scarce as fine gold. Now, what does that mean? Basically, he's saying... The destruction that will come upon them, men will be scarce. What does that mean? There won't be a lot of men around. It'll be as scarce as fine gold. Why? Because they'll all be dead. Why? Because they were killed in battle or killed whenever who came over and took over and they kill the men. Why? Because they don't want somebody rising up against them. He's making a prediction here. Scarce as gold. Okay? Okay. 
Gold's pretty scarce, right? Yeah, that's why it has a lot of value. So he's saying this is what the judgment is going to be like for them, okay? So he's pronouncing this judgment here, the coming judgment. So let's talk about the destruction of Babylon. Again, verse 14 through 22. No one will escape the destruction. No one will escape. It's coming. No one's going to escape. And listen to this. This is amazing. This is Isaiah. Okay, so I told you that Babylon fell in 539 B.C. Now, this prophecy was given in the 700s B.C., okay? Listen to what Isaiah writes from the Lord as far as who is going to bring the destruction. God will use the Medes to destroy Babylon. Now, that's amazing, isn't it? That in 700 B.C., so like 150 years or whatever before, that actually happens, God says, who's going to destroy them? Wow. Now, this is why some liberal scholars would say, well, this, this has to be written sometime after, during a, sometime later. This has to be written sometime later because God can't predict what's going to happen. Isn't that crazy? But God says right off the bat, this is what's going to happen. This is who's going to destroy Babylon. It's who? The Medes, okay? The Medes are going to destroy them, the Medo-Persian Empire. Now, Babylon will become desolate and the habitation of wild animals. Hey, this is true today, isn't it? We know where Babylon is. Babylon is in Iraq. Do you know what? There's not a thriving city there. It's ruins that are constantly being excavated. Now, Saddam Hussein, when he was alive, before his kingdom fell, he was trying to rebuild Babylon, okay? He spent a lot of money trying to rebuild the area up. But it's a desolate place to this day. To this day, okay? To this day. So the Lord... Here it is. Here's the hope. Even in talking about the judgment on Babylon, which, by the way, if you're an Israeli, if you're, if you're a Jew who's living in Judah at this time in 700, you're worried about who? The Assyrians. Okay? We already saw that. King Ahaz is panicked about Israel and, and, and Samaria, I mean, Israel and the Assyrians coming against them. And then you hear about this coming onslaught of the Assyrians and you got a prophecy about Babylon? What do you think you're what do you think you're thinking? What are you talking about? That's not our threat right now. But he's telling them what's happening in the far future. But he also gives them hope. The Lord will have mercy on Israel and return her to the land. What what does that point to? Well, it probably points to the reality that there's going to be an exile, right? The Babylonian exile. So, here's what else he writes. Isaiah writes that strangers will join them. Now, what are strangers? Strangers are non-Jews. So, again, this is a far prophecy. He's going to return them to the land. 
this is not just because of the Babylonian Empire. This is a prophecy for the future because ultimately in the future, who's going to gather them back to Israel? Who? You need help? Who's, who's going to gather all the Jews from all over the world back to Israel in the future? No, the Antichrist is going to try to destroy them. Uh, yeah, Jesus. You're right. Is that what you said, Bruce? Jesus. Okay, the Messiah. Now, this prophecy is saying, Isaiah writes that strangers will join them. Now, what do you think strangers means here? Yeah, you're right, because if you're non-Jewish, you're what? A stranger, the Old Testament law. Everybody else is a stranger. Now, why will we be able to join them? Yeah, because we're not just Christians, but what did you say? Yeah, because of Jesus, because we've given our lives to him. He has renewed us. We're his children now. So this is a prophecy pointing that we're going to join in there, okay? You know, I hear people say, yeah, I can't wait to the future and the new creation, and I can be in the new Pennsylvania around here. You're not going to be in the new Pennsylvania. You're going to be in the new Jerusalem, okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? The new Jerusalem. You're going to be with Jesus, okay? And so the strangers will join them. Here we go. Israel will rule over those who once held her captive. Wow, what a promise, okay? Now think about this. Put yourself in your position. Okay, let's say, all right, I want you to put yourself, I want you to think of an imaginary situation where you are being oppressed by somebody, some bully. Let's say you're in high school or whatever, and he's just, somebody's a, just giving you the whatever at work, and he's just, and you just feel beat upon, beat upon, and then someone comes along and says, hey, one day you're going to be in charge. One day that goon's going to answer to you. How are you going to feel about that? Yeah, good, right? Hey, can I tell you, this is not the only place that says that. Revelation, in the first, chapter 2 and 3, letters to the seven churches, one of the churches that was undergoing severe persecution, God promises them that their enemies will come and what? Bow down to them. He promises that church those that were mocking you and ever will come down and bow to, down to you. That would be an encouragement, okay? That, yes, the oppression is hard right now, but just keep going on. Do you know what I'm saying? You're going to have the upper hand because you belong to the Lord. Okay, you belong to the Lord. Here's what it says. When the promise is fulfilled, Israel will taunt the Babylonian king. You know what taunting is, right? Nah, 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 nah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that, that's a childhood way of taunting, right? That, that's exactly what's going to happen here. You thought you were big. All right, now stop for a moment. Okay, we're laughing at this, and you're thinking to yourself, really? Are you kidding me? Let me tell you something about our God. 
He's talking at their level. He's communicating in a way that reaches them at their level. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when he says you're going to taunt them, that means something to them. Because they taunted them. Do you understand what I'm saying? They mocked them. Do you understand? It's the whole eye for an eye concept here. Okay? God is going to bring the judgment against Babylon. And again, think about this. This is a hundred and some years before it ever even happens. Okay? A hundred and some years before it ever even happens. Now, here's what happens now. There's a taunt. First of all, for the rest of the world. The world will rejoice at the utter destruction of the king. Now, that would be the known world, okay? If you look at your map, think about the, what, how much the Assyrian Empire covered. The Babylonian Empire covered all that plus a little bit more. That would be the known world to them. And to get rid of the oppressor king, who would rejoice? Everybody in the known world, right? They would rejoice at getting rid of this king. So hell conveys that it is excited that the king will join them in death. This is the first time you ever have something like this in the scripture, isn't it? Hell is excited. This is a literary, this is a literary tool that's being used by God through the prophet to convey this is the destiny of their king. Okay? They're going to hell. So, then we come to chapter 14, verses 12 through 17. And this is a section that is very odd in the midst of this prophecy. It is a message to the fallen one, okay? To the fallen one. So this is not about the king of Babylon, but this is about somebody else, okay? So, this section of verses speaks of someone other than the king of Babylon. Now, this happens with some of the other prophecies as well. For instance, one of the other prophecies will talk about the king of Tyre, and then all of a sudden it shifts to somebody else. This is what's happening here. He's talking about the king of Babylon, but he's shifting to someone else he's going to talk about here, okay? So this message is spoken to Satan or Lucifer. They're both the same. It's just one has a name or the other. Another name for him would be the devil, Another name is the accuser of the brethren. This is now a message to Satan, okay? Satan. <clears throat> now, I gave you a little note there, a long note there, to talk to you about who Satan is. Now, what is this message saying? The message conveys the pride of his heart in exalting himself above God. You want to know what Satan's chief sin was? What his sin was that got him cast out? Yeah, pride. What kind of pride? He thought he was better than who? The creator. Well, yes, Jesus, the Godhead, the three in one, yes, okay. Pride. That's why pride is considered the chief of sins, okay? Satan had pride in his heart in exalting himself above God. 
He goes on and conveys in this prophecy that the one who destroyed nations will be brought low to hell. Ultimately, it is Satan who is trying to destroy who? Humanity. Okay, let's stop for a moment. So think about that. When you look at what's going on in the world right now, so what's the big thing in the news right now? War where? Ukraine, right? So who's the big evil guy now? Putin. Okay, I'm going to tell you, yes, it is Putin, but it isn't just Putin. It isn't just Putin. Who is it? Satan. Why? Because he's trying to destroy who? Mankind. Do you understand? Behind every war is ultimately a spiritual power. And that spiritual power is who? Satan. Do you understand? This is the point he's saying here. He's talking about, here's a guy who exalted himself. He's going to be brought low to hell. Here's what he's saying. The one who destroyed nations. This is not a physical king. This is a spiritual king, a spiritual angelic being who's trying to destroy humanity and uses leaders to do his bidding. Not that that Putin's not responsible. He is. Do you understand? But ultimately it's a satanic issue. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a satanic issue. And so here it's saying that the one who destroyed nations, he's going to be brought low to where? Hell. How do we know that? Go over to Revelation chapter 20. Last verses there, I think from verse 11, the great white throne judgment. Who's cast into the lake of fire? Satan is. Now, I, I, let's just stop for a moment. The new TV entertainment for the last couple of hundred years, from writings all the way to visual, likes to convey that there's one guy in charge of hell. Who's that? Satan's in charge of hell, right? He's not in charge of hell. Do you know who's in charge of hell? God is in charge of hell. So when Satan goes to hell, he goes to hell just like everybody else who goes to hell for suffering and torment. He's not going to be in charge there. He's not the prison boss there. Did you understand what I'm saying? He is going to be brought low, okay? He's going to be brought low. The one who destroyed nations will be brought low. Here's the other thing I want you to see here now. <clears throat> We're getting down to the destruction of the king. The king of Babylon will be destroyed and not honored in death. So now we're moving to verse 18, and it gets back to who? The actual king, not the spiritual king. So verses 18 to 23, so now when the king of Babylon is killed and destroyed, he will not be honored in death. We know that. If you go to Daniel chapter 5, the co-regent, Belshazzar, is he's profaning the God of Israel. God brings judgment. Remember the writing on the wall? Okay? And Daniel comes and interprets it and says, this night you're going to die. Guess what? He died because the Medo-Persians came. They killed him. I can almost guarantee you they didn't have a pomp and ceremony for his death. They probably threw him in a ditch somewhere. Do you understand? Or in that day, they would hang you on a pole or something. 
and let the animals eat you. And this is what the prophecy is saying, is that the king of Babylon will be destroyed and not honored in death, okay? He's not honored in death. And again, Babylon will be destroyed and made utterly desolate, okay? Made utterly desolate. All right, now that brings us now to the issue of Assyria. Back to Assyria. We've done with Babylon. Let's talk about Assyria. Talking about Assyria is this. What God has purposed will occur. What God has purposed will occur. That's something you and I need to understand. Whatever his purpose is will occur. Do you think that's true? Think that's true for your life? What's that, Tim? Well, he has a purpose for you, right? Do you understand? Steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in them. Though he yet stumble, he'll not be utterly cast down. For what? The Lord upholds him with his hand. Your screw-ups aren't going to mess up God's plans. Whatever God purposes in his heart will take place. Whatever he purposes concerning Assyria will take place. Whatever he purposes concerning Babylon will take place. Whatever he purposes concerning George will take place. Because he's the one who's in control. He's sovereign, okay? He is the Lord. So God will crush the Assyrians in his land on his mountains. He's going to crush the Assyrians. Wow. Okay, now we're going to move on here to one couple of more nations real quickly. One is Philistia. Anybody know who Philistia is? That refers to who? What, what do we call those people from Philistia? Philistines, yes. Were they a thorn in the side of Israel for a long time? Yeah, remember there was a big guy who David killed. What was his name? Goliath. He was a Philistine, right? So the Philistines were an enemy of Israel. All right, so that's no one can change what God has purposed to do. Okay, here we go. Isaiah received this oracle in the year that King Uzziah died. So now we're going to get to an oracle concerning Philistia that was received when who? Uzziah died. So everything we see in Isaiah is not necessarily chronological, okay? So now we're going to look at this oracle. God condemns the Philistines for thinking that they're safe when Uzziah dies. All right, now remember I told you Uzziah was considered a good king. He had 52 years of reign. He had a big military buildup. The economy of Judah was going really well. And because he had a big military buildup, he kept all the other nations around him in subjection. Some of them ended up being vassal nations. What does that mean? Well, he would defeat the Philistines and he'd say, okay, from now on, every year I want this amount of sheep, this amount of grain, this amount of wool, and you will send it to me as a tribute. And he did that to all the nations around him. So when the king dies, here's what happens. They think, oh, it's going to be a weak leader now. We, can, we don't have to do this anymore. Well, here's a prophecy saying, you guys are condemned because you're thinking you're safe now because Uzziah is dead. Okay? 
Philistia will mourn when the Assyrians come from the north and destroy them. This is the one thing about the Assyrians. They weren't just unhappy with Israel. They were out to get everybody. You know what I'm saying? They're out to conquer everybody. They want all the land for themselves. So God is telling them, hey, your guys are going to mourn when the Assyrians come and destroy them from the north. That brings us now to chapter 15 through chapter 16, verse 14. We're going to talk about Moab. Now, you guys remember who Moab is? Moab, one of the sons of the nephew of Abraham. Does anybody know who Moab's father was? His dad fled from Sodom when it was being destroyed. His wife turned into a pillar of salt. He had only his two daughters. Anybody know what the guy's name is? Pretty, pretty, pretty easy. Let me help you. Outside we have a parking lot, okay? All right, a parking lot, all right? Now, if you remember, if you go back to Genesis... It was very important to carry on the family lineage, but Lot, being scared because of what happened and what he witnessed, started living in a cave, and the two daughters were like, we're never going to marry. So they got him drunk and, of course, had intimate relationships with their dad and produced two sons. One was Ammon, and the other was who? Moab. So these are cousins of Israel, Okay cousins of Moab. Moab will mourn at the loss of its cities, Isaiah says, okay? Moab will mourn at the loss of its cities. Isaiah is disturbed at the plight of Moab as its survivors only face more tragedy. So Isaiah, even though he's pronouncing judgment against his enemies, you got to say the guy's got a heart, right? Because he's like really bothered that their survivors are going to face more tragedy. Do you, do you understand? Why? Because they are the cousins related to who? Israel. Israel. Now, let's remind ourselves, who are the Moabites? Well, there was a guy by the name of David who had a grandmother who was a Moabitist. We'd like to read that story. She came over from Moab with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Do you remember her name? Ruth, right? She was a Moabitist, okay? So there was still a connection between the two people. All right, now let's go on. While Moab fled from destruction, Jerusalem would be spared. All right, so the Assyrians will come down. They'll destroy Moab and not just destroy the Moab, they'll even heap more destruction on the survivors. But here's what the prophecy says. Jerusalem's going to survive. And we know that. We're going to see that here soon. Because when the Assyrians come, they destroy everything around, but they can't take what? Jerusalem. They can't take it. Okay? There's no way to take the city. All right? No way to take the city. All right. Let's go on. God has established a throne that the Messiah will sit on. So now he's going to project forward the reality again of the protection of Israel here that the Messiah is going to have a throne 
that he will sit on, that God establishes. Here's what else, the pride of Moab. Because of Moab's pride, the productiveness of the land will be removed. And then here's the last two points I want to show you concerning the destruction of Moab. Isaiah proclaims that Moab will be utterly destroyed within three years. Utterly destroyed within three years. And the number of those who remain in Moab will be small and feeble. Okay? So let me, get, let me ask you a question. So when you look at the Middle East today, we see Israel, right? Anybody see Moab on the map? No. No. That's just how God brings judgment, right? Yeah. Yeah, this is interesting. You know, this, it, there is a story, the validity of this story is questionable, but there is a story of uh, the king of Prussia at the time, Frederick of Great, was asking one of his chaplains, uh, what is, how can you know the validity of the Bible? How do you know that it is true? And the chaplain said, Israel, they're still here. That tells you it's true. Now, there wasn't a nation Israel, but there was a people throughout the world who were what? Jews. Do you understand? And, and this is the reality. We don't know of Moab today, do we? But we still know. Have you met a Moab? Have anybody met somebody from Moab in Kerwinsville this week? But you might meet a Jew, right? This is the point. 